Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And this is your top podcast for the third place Baltimore Orioles. Uh, that feels good to say. And it might not even be true by the time the podcast comes out. We're recording this a little bit ahead of time. Um, could be in first place. Nope. Uh, not, that could yeah, not Statistically happen. not possible. <laughs> could Probably be in the first place. Unless yeah. we're still like 10 games back. So I guess Tyler could hold on it make yeah. this all wrong for us but yeah the, the Yankees podcast. could lose every game i mean sure. they've been pretty bad the yeah Yankees they're like have... two and eight in the last 10 yeah and i think like it's over like a long span they've been like a 500 team i don't know how many games it is but essentially you take away their really hot start and the yankees are kind of just average which is awesome but um i mean theoretically the team could be we could get to second place in the al east by the time this comes out um we're recording this on the 13th, Saturday, the 13th DL hall day. Um, and yeah, I mean, it feels pretty good. We've recorded one podcast already today. So the energy may be a little low uh, coming into this episode, but uh, it's an exciting time. I made the argument on Camden chat today. I, I wrote the bird droppings that today is of this season so far, the most exciting day to be an Orioles fan to this point. And that could be upended still, but I think the combination of, the Orioles taking over a playoff spot last night, moving up to third, and D.O. Hall being promoted. This is the most excited I've been all season. How do you guys is feel that about that more exciting than Adley? Well, because it's the combination. No, of... no, I, I get it. I get it. No, I, yeah. So then the I got that yes. it's a multifaceted, uh, there are two dimensions to this. Yeah. No, I well, understand When Adley that. came up, I was like, cool, Adley's up, but we but suck. We're, we're bad. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I get that. So yeah, I will say though that I, I think Jesse has a valid point. The the Adley promotion was just, you know, it it was the end of, it was just so symbolic. It was like, okay, now this is yeah. the start of everything that we've been waiting for and hoping for and working for for the last you know five years. So, I, yes. I definitely, I see what Jesse's saying. That said. That day and this day have both given me enough energy to carry me through to the next off season. So there you go. Yeah, I think and you're yeah. If I if I isolate Hall or Rutschman, clearly Rutschman. Well, obviously, yeah. But, no, no, no. I mean, but we now, were, well to, to Eli's point though. Yes, I felt the sense of relief that that was all coming to the end. And now we're at this point where I'm like, it's well in the rear view at this point, and we're gonna make the playoffs. Right. Right. We, we have turned that corner now, and now it's time to start looking at the next step. Absolutely. Yeah, I Absolutely. get that. Um, but yeah, so as we record right now, the Orioles are in possession of a playoff spot. They're a half game up on the race for that third and final wildcard spot in AL. Uh, fan graphs this morning gives the Orioles an almost 8% chance of making the playoffs, which is the most pessimistic of the big um projections out there baseball reference has us up to 55.6 percent chance to make the playoffs we were talking about this before we recorded um and the baseball reference one does use the last 100 games as a sample size and to your point jesse about rutschman coming up and that was kind of the turning point to the season basically the last 100 games have had adley on the team for the most part i think the very beginning didn't but uh the Orioles are a totally different team post Adley than they were pre Adley. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm starting to like believe that these guys are for real. I don't, are you guys kind of in the same headspace there? A nod from Eli. Yes. Yeah, I believe I, I was trying to give Jesse the space to go first, but <laughs> he didn't pick it up. Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely believe uh, it, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, I, I don't believe that we, I mean, I believe, I don't 100% think that, you know, we will have that wild card spot. I don't 100, you know, I'm not like yeah. green lights, no doubt about it in my mind. I'm not at that point, but right. the chance is real. Uh, and I think we will be competing for it the rest of the year. We've only got three games left against the Yankees. You know, as we said, they have been struggling a bit, but they're clearly the best team. I think everyone else in the division we can play with on a day in day out basis. And, uh, yeah, I, I think our prospects are good. Jesse, do you want to jump in now? You were you were hesitant I, to do it. I before do. You. Okay. And, and, you know, <laughs> like 
yeah, I mean, I do think we we definitely have a shot at this thing. Um, I definitely think that's true. Um, I guess I want to see the Orioles go through a slump a little bit and then see how the Orioles recover from that. Um, because, you know, things are, I mean, we're just kind of playing in an, on, you know, out of, you know, it's unsustainable. Is that what you're saying? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, we have a third of the season left, you know, there have been teams that have had fluke years, right? Um, so, you know, I, I I think it's possible the Orioles can can you know continue somewhat resembling what they're playing at right now um, for the rest of the year. But I want to see us. I I don't know. Not that I you know I'm I want to see how we would respond to like getting swept in a four game series by somebody. Right. And I would want to see like what would happen after that, you know? And I think, I think the team is riding a lot of confidence right now. And, you know, we are, you know, and our, our mental state, us thinking about this, we're all really, really excited. You know, the Orioles are playing really well. It was very unfortunate. We dropped the game to Boston, but, Overall, the Orioles are playing really well right now. Um, we just thrashed the Rays last night. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess I, I guess we're at a high right now, right? And I guess I want to uh, kind of evaluate it when, you know, things are not as sky high, right, for the Orioles. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, people have started to talk about the strength of schedule a lot the last few days. And I think, you know, that's a sign that things are for real. Like we're getting down to the the stretch run here and that does start to matter. The Orioles, some of their hardest opponents left, they've got seven against the Astros. That's the big kind of chunk there. And then behind that is 13 against the Blue Jays, uh, which is huge as well. Although we just, they just took two in a row from the Blue Jays. They do have just the three against the Yankees. These two against the Rays, which, you know, this episode will come out after they play these two games. But those are huge because if they if the Orioles win just one of those, then they have any sort of tiebreaker over the Rays. If it comes down to the nitty gritty, because the Orioles right now, um, I guess they yeah, they're one game above 500 against the Rays. They need one more win to clinch a winning record against them this year, which is like such a shocking turnaround compared to last year when the Orioles won a game, they won one game against the Rays last year. They went one and 18. Um, So yeah, I think that does matter, but looking at this, the Rays probably have a harder schedule left than the Orioles. They have to play the Yankees nine times, the Astros six times, the Blue Jays nine times. Like that's kind of a tough combo right there. And they're still really hurt. So I do feel pretty confident about the Orioles prospects here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to just keep believing until I, I don't think I need to see them lose four in a row um, to be confident that they're a good team, which is what Jesse said. Weird. <laughs> yeah, Jesse went, I mean, through that whole thing just to explain the caveat to why he couldn't give a solid answer right now just because he hasn't seen the struggles. I need well, like to see this team be bad to know that they're good. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I want to see how they respond, right? I, know, I mean, I like, like we talked about, I mean, Adley right now has a 500 on base percentage, you know, in the last yeah. whatever number of games, you know. So, so uh, Ted Williams I mean, did that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I I don't know, you know. I know. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But it is it's it's just a totally different team since like May 1st and and since Adley came up in May 21st. So, I don't know. I I, I think also though I mean, the Rays aren't the only competition the Orioles have, right? I mean, we got to keep that in mind. Um, so it's not just the Rays, but the sure. Twins slash the uh, Guardians are also involved in the mix. So, um, yeah. They're in the mix, and uh, the Blue Jays are in the mix, and the White Sox are kind of lurking there. Um, yep. I, think the, I think the Mariners are legitimately good, so I think the Mariners are going to – gonna get in yeah, i think the yeah. Mariners will be around yeah so i mean that's i think it, if you if we agree that like the mariners are gonna get a wild card spot it's it's orioles blue jays twins probably and rays in the mix there and white Sox, i think are kind of hovering but 
for two spots. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, but okay, so what we boiling that down, the Orioles are 21 and 9 in their last 30 games. In that stretch of time, they have a 3.31 team ERA, which is the eighth best in Major League Baseball. And they have a 752 team OPS, uh, which is ninth in baseball in that time. So let's talk about Adley Rutschman. Jesse, you just brought him up. 500 OPP in the second half. He, after missing, you know, almost two months with that uh, forearm injury to start the season, which was a, a real disappointment and kind of, it's in my head at the time, it's sort of, not that the Orioles had playoff chances at that point anyway, but had sort of sapped some of my energy for the season. It was all about seeing Adley. Okay, now we're not going to see him for some unknown amount of time. He's come up, basically erased all of that time, has now caught up to the likes of Julio Rodriguez, you know, Bobby Wood Jr., if you want to even consider him, Jeremy Pena, all those guys. And he's kind of now in like the thick of the rookie of the year conversations. Um, uh, Jesse, do you, I mean, do you want to talk about what you think his chances are? We kind of had a conversation before the podcast and you were sort of like, you kind of put the question forward. Do you think he's got a chance at the the rookie of the year? So, I mean, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I would say, I, I think it's uh, down to, between him and Rodriguez for it um I mean I think him being a catching prospect um with you know I mean look his power has been fine right his power is not not what's you know off the charts what's off the charts is the on-base percentage the plate discipline the ability to draw walks um the, the approach right that those are what's really off the charts and just pretty shocking for somebody who is you know just starting a major league baseball career we knew Adley was going to be good we knew he was going to be good I thought there would be a little bit more growing pains particularly at the plate um in order for him to to really start excelling but I mean take away the first month that he was in the majors and I mean this guy has been unbelievable so um yeah I mean it's really the 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 plate discipline, the approach, the the on-base percentage, all of those things that are really making him remarkable. Plus, uh, you know, him defensively. Um, right. And and Rodriguez is center fielder. So uh uh and he's great defensively as well. Um, but obviously you're gonna give Adley, you know, if the offensive stats are are relatively equal, you know, Adley's gonna get the little edge for being the catcher, I think, in the equation. So um yeah, I mean I th- I think it's down to the two of them. Um yeah, I mean I think it's it's somewhat of a toss-up at this point between those two. So looking at baseball reference real quick, and I think I'm looking at this correctly, it's got Adley as the fourth highest. Uh, war of AL rookies. First is Julio Rodriguez at 4.1, then Jeremy Pena at 3.6, Stephen Kwan at 3.4, and then Rutschman at 2.9. But it should be said, all three guys ahead of him, I believe, started the season in the big leagues. They debuted on opening day. Adley is dealing with a month and a half less than those two. And I think at that pace, and I think Julio is hurt right now. Eli, you said that before we recorded. Um, Adley could theoretically catch up to them. I know Quan hasn't been nearly as good as he was that first like month or two. Um, so no, I think it's uh, it's really in play. Eli, what are your thoughts on that situation? Yeah, the the big thing to me, um, like you said, they they have all had more playing time. Adley is accruing stats and WAR at paces that not one of those players has set this year um so i i think he will easily you know if we're talking metrics of war i think he'll easily overtake kwan i think jeremy pena will definitely fall uh but yeah i i think it's down to adley and julio uh like jesse said julio provides a lot of value all over the field um he yeah i think it was like a wrist injury and he said it was just sore after the home run derby and i think they're being overly conservative with him and put him on the 10 day IL just so he could rest up and come back and make a run at this thing. So, or maybe so he doesn't win the rookie of the year. (laughs) The Mariners don't want him to. I mean, the service time situation. Well, but he started on opening day. He'll definitely get a four year. Oh, at this point, at this point, they probably want him to win because then they'll get draft pick compensation for it. 
Oh, yeah. It's not an additional year, right? No, that'd be kind of crazy to get two for one. Wow. Yeah. Wait, when you win rookie of the year, though, you don't get an extra year? I don't think so. Not if you're already being discussed. I think Adley is a good example of a guy that will get a full year if he wins it or comes in second because he was not promoted on opening day. So uh, they're encouraging, they're trying to encourage teams to call up the players sooner. But if they don't, they're giving players the ability to earn a full year. Yeah, I'm that's interesting. I interpreted it when, like, through those negotiations that they were like if you win rookie of the year you know say adley's got 1.6 years or whatever or he's got 0.6 years that would go to 1.6 years not just it would get up to one year i don't think so okay well that's interesting that yeah that's interesting okay yeah i thought it like cut a year off of their uh team control oh Maybe we'll have to look this up. Yeah, that, that's right. not how yeah, I okay. interpreted it. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was I just definitely... kind of making a little joke side comment thing and then it turned into this, you know. Right. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I think it's down to Adley and Julio. I think if you're talking impact on a team, the Mariners had a lot going for them already. You know, I think that it's undeniable you know people talk about the different ways that you evaluate mvp whether they have to be on a good team whether it's just the best player or the best player on a good team or whatever right if you're talking about the impact that a rookie player has had on their team there is no argument that there's no argument over whether adley has been that guy he has had the largest impact on the orioles relative to any rookie on their team across major league baseball um yeah i mean he's been elite and it, it's it, it's just undeniable i mean the, the compa- is so good i i was just gonna say i mean the comparison's a little unfair i think because right the mariners started off with rodriguez on the team so you don't kind of have that same ability to measure well, have- his impact Relative. yes you do you, but, you have what they were last year you know and they went and they pulled in jesse winker who was an all-star eugenio suarez yeah but it's like a different it's second a different in the majors team. in home runs since 2017 it's like they were already a good team the orioles still have jorge mateo ramon odias you know cedric mullins austin hayes they still have you know some of the same pitchers as last year it's all like the same kind of trash pile that it was last year <laughs> so uh, you know but this year it's good and clearly <laughs> the the change that has happened is Adley Rushman yeah I mean I'm not of course I'm not denying Adley's uh impact on this team yeah. well yeah right, I mean right I mean the, the Mariners were you know a half game or one game out of the wild card last year they won 90 games and it's largely the same core, you know, it's, it's J, uh, JP Crawford, it's, you know, Mitch Haniger, it's all those guys. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, you know, and it's impossible to do like the whole butterfly effect of how Adley impacts, you can't quantify exactly how he impacts all this other stuff because the Orioles are better, yes, because Adley's there and catcher was one of our worst positions in 2021 because Pedro Severino and whoever was backing up Pedro Severino at the moment were always bad. But the pitching staff is has gone from horrific in general to mediocre in general, with the bullpen being very good, which is a huge shift. And then the defense has gone, the infield defense at least, has gone from being horrific to, again, decent in general. Mateo has been really good. And I'm not sure how much Adley impacts the infield defense, but it's all these little things together that have made the team uh, go from putrid to competitive. Um and yeah, I mean, Adley, I think is a huge part of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's almost guaranteed he's going to be a top two finisher in the award. I think potentially Julio Rodriguez will nip him because, you know, he just had a head start and apparently he just got back off the IL. So maybe Rodriguez still wins it. And if the Mariners make the playoffs, that's a difference there. But it's going to be really close. And that's impressive for a guy that missed the first month and a half of the season. Let's talk about another rookie who is not going to be winning rookie of the year, but has still been pretty impressive uh, and sort of out of nowhere. It's Taryn Vavra, second baseman, corner outfielder, 
Hasn't really played either one of those positions a whole heck of a lot since being called up, but he is hitting the ball really well and getting on base at a ridiculous clip. He's walking all the time, has a 417 on base, 850 OPS in 36 plate appearances. And Brandon Hyde has quickly put him into the lineup almost every single day. He's hitting like fifth a lot of times. Uh, really impressive, but he's not really playing the field. Eli, what do you make of Vavra's recent appearance on the big league squad? You know, what are you impressed by? And are you concerned at all that he's just like, they don't play him in the field at all? I don't know. First, I think there's a hot debate to be had over whether it's Vavra or Vavra. I don't actually this is know. True. Yeah, I'll have to look at his baseball reference. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did get the little pronunciation. But um, I, I don't know. The dude's been incredible. You, you know, he has just been a really steady hitter. He is spraying the ball to all fields. He is able to turn on the inside pitch. He's able to, you know, shoot something into the left center field gap. And yeah, I I mean, as Tyler said, he's walking all the time. He is, I, I mean, this was the thing that we talked about on this podcast when Adley first came up. We were just so blown away by his willingness to stay committed to the approach, to not chase pitches, and it's a super rare thing for a rookie. Um, it's, you know, super rare. And Vavra is doing it, quite frankly, more successfully than Adley did when Adley first came up. Um, he is producing better offensively. And you could argue, you know, because he's been a DH, he's not having to learn the whole catching position at the major league level, all that stuff. That's all true. But, you know, strictly in his first month of time in the major leagues, he is a better major league hitter than Adley was, which, you know, is about as, high praise as you can give someone um so yeah i mean he's he's been incredible uh and last night you know he struck out on one borderline pitch and two pitches like it was these two sliders inside that were both you know three four inches off the plate and you know not swinging at the second one for strike three after that strike two call had already been called I think just like shows the commitment to his approach shows his, you know, like internal trust of his sense of the strike zone and that stuff that it, you know, it doesn't go away. You know, somebody's understanding of the strike zone, somebody's like ability to, you know, to focus in on what pitch they want to swing at is something that stays with a player for a long time. It's a like universal, uh, I don't know, universal like talent. It just, mm-hmm. you know, whether he is going to be a DH, whether he gets time in corner outfield, whether he finally sometime eventually takes over for Rugnet Odor at second base, like that skill is there. And you can go through slumps, you can go through whatever. There will be times where he sees it a little bit less or a little bit better, but that's really like an incredibly valuable skill and it's just evergreen. Yeah, it's definitely one of those skill sets that just seems like a guy that's just going to be in the big leagues for a long time. I, I don't know exactly. if he'll ever be an all-star or anything like that, but he'll just be around. <laughs> um, uh, Jesse, do you want to talk about Vavra at all and what you've liked and uh, maybe kind of what you see his role being on this team? Yeah, I mean, I think Eli summarized it pretty well. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, the play dif- discipline, of course, is outstanding um, so far. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think he kind of caught a lot of people by surprise a little. I mean, this is surprising to me. I mean, he was definitely like, a, you know, a good prospect in the minors and obviously um, had a, a, a good shot to make the major leagues. Um, but to be like dominating it offensively uh, in the way that he has, even despite the small sample size, um, is still very impressive, obviously. Um you know, it is a very small sample size and I don't want to overhype, you know, the implications long-term for what that means. But um, yeah, right. While he's hot, um, Hyde is playing him. And I think that's what the Orioles should continue to do with him until he shows that, um, you know, until he goes into a slump. Yeah. And I will say they're definitely like putting in in a position to succeed. He's not really facing lefties like, as we're recording right now, the Orioles are getting set to play uh, the Rays against Shane McClanahan, lefty, probably the Cy Young winner in the AL. Uh, Vavra is not in the lineup. Um, also, it is Vavra. I looked at his baseball reference, and the way Kevin Brown is pronouncing it, Vavra is correct because, of course, it is because Kevin Brown is a professional. 
Um, Kevin Brown is perfect. He is. He, well, he's perfect. Uh, he is. He's. <laughs> and now it's like a daily thing. Ben McDonald posts like a pregame video of the two of them. And Kevin Brown's always putting makeup on. And it's just like, yeah, know, it's hilarious. Like, it's let's just go yeah. with it. I will um, say I, I met Kevin Brown at the stadium one time and he definitely layers it on. But at the same time, he goes on TV and I do not. So. Layers what on makeup? Yeah, layers on <laughs> oh. makeup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't want to have a shine. You don't look shiny on TV. That's exactly. hey, you gotta do what you gotta do. It's theater a little bit. But yeah, Favre, really exciting. Hope they keep doing what he what they're doing. Would love to see him in the field a little more often. So let's let's talk about this a little bit. It his when he plays in the field is going to be directly connected to Rugnet Odor. Odor, I am an apologist for Rugnet Odor this year. We've talked about him a lot. We talked about him prior to the 2021 season when the Orioles were thinking about signing him. I was against it. But the guy, now that he's an Orioles, definitely won me over a little bit. And it's not exactly with what he does on the stat sheet because it's not particularly good. Uh, as of this recording, he's batting 203 with a 264 on base, 378 slugging, and he's got a 78 WRC+. plus. This is coming the day after. I think he had four hits last night. Um, he had a clutch home run earlier this week. Uh, still, the guy is, you know, not a great hitter. And yet... He continues to play just about every day. Uh, just said Vavra is not in the lineup against McClanahan, but Rugnet Odor is. So it's it's an interesting thing we've got going on there. Where do you guys come down? Jesse, maybe I'll go to you first. Where do you guys come down on the Rugnet Odor situation? Are you fine to see him in the lineup every day? Do you want to see a switch? Uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, he's a little bit of a conundrum, like you kind of mentioned, you know, having this uh go ahead home run against the blue jays right i mean you can't and that's not the first one he's had right i mean it's been multiple go ahead you know or game tying home runs in the late innings that have been like massively important for the orioles um so yeah i mean it, but also the other the the other half of that story is that right the stat sheet is not looking good right <laughs> Um, and you know, he's creating a lot of outs offensively and defensively, he's not phenomenal either. So, um, the thing is that you know, I think it's just kind of a big, uh, kind of a big question mark. I mean, I think I don't know, I it's hard to imagine the Orioles going into the playoffs with Odor as their starting second baseman. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to have him come off the bench, uh, maybe in the late innings to be a bench option or something but um yeah i think eventually something's gonna have to change it's just kind of a question of okay well when this does change you know what is going to change who is going to take over at second is it going to be urias is it going to be a vap uh vavra uh you know so it's just these kinds of questions i think uh that have to be sorted out and i think the orioles you know, more or less, this is kind of working for right now. And since the Orioles are a little, I think, unsure about what the future is and how the infield is going to look, um, I think that is some of the cause for the hesitation in, in what's happening here. Yeah, and I think you touched on the defense because you're right on paper and, you know, even the eye test, I think, you would tell you Rugnador is not an especially good fielder, but – Brandon Hyde has said a bunch of times that I think he likes his defense, particularly turning a double play. And that seems to be why he's in the lineup. In addition to some leadership stuff that I do think is real. Um, but it's the defense. They want him on, on the infield day in and day out, turn those double plays, lead the, lead the defense, control things out there, be kind of the point guard. Um, Eli, do you think that's enough to warrant him being an everyday player for the Orioles? That's the part I struggle with. I, it, it, yeah. It's enough to warrant him being on this roster. Is it enough to warrant him being in the lineup every day as, you know, what is pretty, like, pretty clearly understood as a worse option? You know, it there's really no ambiguity about it anymore. He's really not producing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and we, like, Jesse brought up, I think, Jesse or you, Tyler, brought up the the go-ahead home run in the bottom of the eighth inning against the Blue Jays. And it was great, but, it, you know, like, it was so hilarious. And, you know, Kevin Brown was screaming about the redemption tour for Rugnet Odor. Like, it, it was so <laughs> hilarious because he had had, like, 
an atrocious, you know, it was a relay coming home and he made this atrocious throw when we had plenty of time to get the guy at home. He had, uh, he had a base running mistake yeah. between second and third with no and outs, then, <laughs> right? With no outs. And then after hitting the home run, uh, he goes out and he feels a ground ball at second base. He's kind of like charging in on it and he goes and pulls it out of his glove. It's like slipping out of his hand. He throws it anyway. It sails over Mount Castle. And it's just like, it, you know, the guy actually, I saw this Fangraphs calls him the most or the 11th most clutch player. Uh-huh. in baseball you know like they have some means of quantifying that he's the 11th most clutch player in baseball that is fine but <laughs> <laughs> he's been a disaster the rest of the time and you know like I, I I definitely do support keeping people around that are veteran leadership you know I remember uh I think it was one of the games against the Blue Jays Felix looked like he was starting to fall apart in the ninth uh-huh. inning Rugi came in, like slapped him on the chest, gave him a little pep talk. Felix continued to dominate the rest of the inning. You know, so there definitely are places where that leadership is, you know, valuable, where it is necessary. But it just feels like he's holding us back. You know, like we we talk about somebody like Kyle Stowers. If you want to get Stowers everyday playing time, then like, you know, Santander, go to DH. Who's the DH? Taryn Vavra. Taryn Vavra go to second base. Ruki go to the bench. And then right. right field's open for Kyle Stowers. You know, you can rotate him and Santander in and around, whatever. You can give him days off as Adley goes into DH. Like, Ruki, by holding down the second base position, is blocking Vavra. And Vavra's been so good that he's played himself into just about everyday playing time in the DH role. So that like locks up the DH role indirectly by Rugi being there. And, you know, is that worth, you know, like how much value does he provide as a veteran leader on the field versus how much value does he provide as a veteran leader on the bench? Uh And I don't think it's that much more, you know, like I think we put him on the bench and then we get the on-field playing value of better baseball players. Yes. I mean, I think that's all fair. I think like where I start to hesitate and, you know, you talk about calling up players or putting players into different roles and even making Vavra into an everyday player at second base. You know, I think that that does all sound reasonable and likely and all that stuff, but Odor is like this known commodity of yes, you know, he's a replacement level player (laughs) on, on paper and you know, he's probably a plus clubhouse guy or, you know, even on field influence when, like you said, the Batista thing, there's not a guarantee that Taryn Vavra, the everyday second baseman, is the same value there. There's no guarantee that Kyle Stowers, the rookie, is going to come up and hit as well as Kyle Stowers had in AAA. So you have this known commodity in Rubnet Odor. Yes, it is underwhelming, but you know what you have, and you know the team is winning with what you have. I'm not saying you shouldn't change things when you see an obvious upgrade. I think like if we're really being transparent about we want to win right now, Gunnar Henderson clearly would come up and make this team a better team and you could move Ramon Urias to second base. Yes. I think that is a clear cut. I'm not sure it's a clear cut upgrade to move Vavra into the everyday second base position. Well, well, so I guess the only counterpoint to that is like, you know, moving Vavra to that position does not preclude reverting that change later. Right. You know, you you can go right ahead and say, okay, Vavra isn't as good as we thought. Move him back. You know, it's like you go, you push him back to the DH role, you push Santander back out to right field, and Stower sits the bench a little bit more this year. Like, that's fair. That's fair. I think yeah. some some people have been talking about like DFA Odor. I think that that's a step too far. I think Odor is on the roster for the rest of the year. I saw somebody say yesterday, like, yeah, I think it's it's getting time to to DFA. I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. No, I, I, when you I, can I do don't so many other things, you can you can demote Tyler Nevin. You can mess around with bullpen arms. I'm not saying you've got to bend over backwards to keep Odor, but like on the 2022 Orioles, I just think Ruben Odor is on the team until the bitter end. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think he should be on the roster. I think he has earned his place here. And I do think he provides value in those intangible ways. Uh, I'm fine with that for sure. Okay. Jesse, are you fine with that? Uh, no, I am fine with that. And I think, I think, yeah, basically he does, uh, 
yeah, he, I mean, he obviously has value to the team. That's clear. So I think DFA him doesn't make any sense, right? He's been with this team since opening day. I'm pretty positive. He was with us opening yes. day. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to remember clearly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And he's, you know, he's been our everyday second baseman. That's kind of weird, you know, to, to get rid of him now at this point, this late in the season, you know, there were other options. The Orioles could have traded him had they wanted to, the Orioles could have gotten rid of him a long time ago, but you know, they like what they have in him and uh, yeah. Keeping him on the team, I think makes sense. So. Yeah. And they should go resign Chris Owings again. Right. No, no he, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> he, he also has playoff experience, you know, that's the other thing. So that could be oh, yeah. useful, you know, down the stretch. For sure. Sure. Let's talk about the other middle infielder, Jorge Mateo. Mateo, I said again, say on Camden chat, how I've kind of viewed him for most of the season as like terrific defender. Whatever you get from his bat is a bonus. And like now the last month or so, that bonus is like huge. He's like crushing the ball. There was a thing in the sun today about how he's been working with the Orioles hitting coaches on tweaking some things. Um, but since July 10th, Mateo has a 337 uh, batting average, 366 on base, and a 652 slugging percentage. He definitely has like found the power stroke um, to some degree. Um, so, you know, first, I guess let's talk about his, his defense. Um, he did the thing, was it last night? He did the glove flip to first base. Yep. That was really cool. Uh, and I'm halfway across the infield. <laughs> I'm all in on, on Jorge Mateo, gold glove winner. How about you guys? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all in. Yeah. I, I, he's electric. You know, you just see him. I don't know. That was a good example of it. You know, there were a couple of plays earlier in the year where, you know, it's a lefty hitter. So the outfield is shifted around the pole towards right field. And there's like some bloop going down the left field line and he just runs, you know, three quarters of a mile and makes an over the shoulder catch. It, you, you know, the guy is just all over the place. He has been, you know, he's been steady too. I mean, he, he doesn't mess up routine plays and he gives you a chance at anything within, you know, 50 nautical yeah. miles of him. Like it's, it's, it's insane. It's so different than like the brand of defense that JJ Hardy gave where right, it right. was very, very clinical, like very, I mean, he was, he had a good first step and, but he was always just positioned in the right place. Jorge Mateo, I mean, he's positioned in the right place, but it also kind of doesn't matter and he'll just go get whatever. Um, which is really fun. Uh, but Jess, your take? I mean, I love I love talking about his defense, you know, because, I mean, just like Eli was saying, I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. I don't even know who – I'm trying to think about who his competition for Gold Glove would be. I'm, uh, You know, I'm not – it's not coming to mind immediately. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I definitely think he's a top contender if he doesn't outright win it. So, yeah, I'm trying to look now to see other – um shortstops with high outs above average in the al and the only one with more outs above average in the al is jeremy pena with the astros uh mateo's eighth in the in the whole league and the other the top six are all nl uh shortstops i, um, I actually don't know much about pena so i can't really speak to his defense but yeah yeah i mean he's a rookie too right yeah yeah um a little bit younger but uh but yeah, I mean, Mateo is just fantastic. But to give you kind of the idea of the other people, number one in the league with outs above average is Dansby Swanson, uh, then Nico Horner, Tommy Edmond, Willie Adamas, and Haseyong Kim with the Padres rounds out the top five. Um, so all kind of like, I feel like newer names to the discussion for like gold glove types. I mean, Swanson's been around a bit and Edmond's been around a bit. Oh, Edmund, Edmund's mostly a second baseman, but he must play some shortstop, I guess. Now that uh, Andrelton Simmons is out of the league, you know, like we've moved on from considering him, you know, so. Yeah. The new, uh, I don't know, the new era of exactly short stops led by Jorge Mateo, of course. But yeah, I mean, so that's, you know, the defense has been great all year, but offensively, I don't know that I necessarily see him doing anything differently. I don't know if you guys have a different read on that. Eli, do you have like any thoughts on like what has changed about his offense to kind of like tell us why he's just hitting so much better now? Yeah. I, I'll be honest, I don't have a fully good read on any like one change. Uh, you know, you mentioned that Sun article. I think it was in there that they said they've just been throwing him a ton of sliders in BP. 
you know, getting him to recognize spin a little bit better. And, I, you know, I guess what I can say about him is I know that his path to this super, I'm going to call it superstardom. It's clearly an exaggeration. But the <laughs> superstardom at shortstop was they talked about every day he would go out and he would just take routine ground balls over and over and over. And they say he never really practices the crazy spinning throw, you know, behind second base. He never really practices the like deep in the hole at shortstop. You know, he, he, he just practices routine plays. And I think, you know, it could be a situation where uh, he realized he had trouble recognizing spin. It might have gotten him in between timing. You know, he's trying to stay back a little bit more to recognize that spin a little, you know, closer to him, a little deeper, and that gets him behind the fastball. You know, it could be anything like that. You, you know, it's really not for me to say, but just he's been working on recognizing spin, and I guess that's all that has – I guess that's all that was missing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and sometimes players are just later bloomers than others. He's 27, so not old, but, you know, older for a guy to be kind of like – clicking on all cylinders like this and the Orioles going back to the end of last season to this season this is the longest he's been in the big leagues for any amount of time and I'm sure working with some sort of consistency of like training or or staff or whatever helps to develop your skills a little bit more and also just like your name's in the lineup every single day that I mean he came from the Padres who you know for a couple years now the Padres have been trying to win a world series and the Orioles were not in that situation last year so they could put him out there he played a couple different positions last year um they could put him out there and then again even coming into this year the Orioles goal was not to make the playoffs at the start of 2022 so he could be confident like I'm going to be out there for as long as I produce and you know there might be something to that as well and then you just get on a roll. But um, yeah, I think that's a good point. The Sun article kind of lays out um, uh, what's going on there with Mateos. That's interesting. Um, but Jesse, I'll ask you maybe, what do you think Jorge Mateos' future is with the Orioles? We know we've got Gunnar Henderson coming maybe next year. Jordan Westberg can play some third base from shortstop. You know, what does Jorge Mateo do on the 2023 Orioles? Yeah, I mean, so... I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like, I think uh, primarily, I think he's going to be our starter. I think he's going to be our uh, 2023 shortstop. Um, You know, I mean, longer term than that, I mean, you know, and I know we've had this conversation before, you know, things have changed a little bit, of course, given this offensive surge. Um, But I definitely think that, uh, you know, if Henderson does end up playing short or Westberg really does, you know, seize the position and, you know, either one of them, you know, and they are clearly a better option than Mateo. I think Mateo is too valuable to end up being a, uh, a bench piece, right? I think he's a guy that you end up trading because he's so good defensively that to maximize value in that kind of situation, he, you end up trading him. But I definitely want to, you know, be sure that I don't think the Orioles should be necessarily trying to do that or looking to do that. Um, I think he's a great option. Um, You know, I mean, eventually, I think one of these guys will have to be traded, right? Like Henderson, Westberg or or um, Mateo. Um, I mean, Henderson could play third, you know, so um, but, you know, at some point, you know, I think they're all too good. Um, for one of them to be a bench piece. So if it's possible Mateo ends up being the odd person out there and uh, being the one that gets dealt. But, you know, I mean, he's so, like we've been talking about, he's so good defensively that Westberg or Henderson would have to be, would have to excel defensively, right, in order for them to be a better option. And I'm not sure that's going to happen, you know. So I could see Mateo being here for the next several years, but I definitely think he is the starting shortstop in 2023. Well, yeah, what I will say is I think that him showing the ability to hit like he has recently is important to determining where he sits in the pecking order because I think that he's been fantastic defensively and he could win a gold glove. And that's not, you can't find a gold glove caliber shortstop just anywhere, but you can find like a light hitting solid defensive shortstop in most organizations. So I think the fact that he's been like, okay, yeah, I'm a really good fielder, 
And now I can like, I can get pretty close to hitting like league average on the year. That is an important distinction that I think, yes, that I wouldn't get rid of Gunner for him, but I could see like, okay, right. we've got a shortstop. Gunner's going to come and play third and maybe Jordan Westberg will like dangle out there and see if we can package him with somebody to get a starting pitcher or something. Um, yeah. I, yeah, that makes sense. L- let me just say, yeah, I mean, now that I'm thinking, I mean, Henderson is like too has too much upside probably right. to end up trading. So let me just clarify that. Eli, anything else to say, Mateo? Yeah, I guess real quick, we actually in this in our outline have not acknowledged that since our last recording, Gunnar Henderson has been deemed the number one prospect in baseball oh, by yeah. Baseball America. Oh yeah, that is worthwhile. Kind of a big and, deal. Just wanted to throw that out there, but um, somehow it yeah. didn't make the outline. <laughs> right. yeah. It was a minor detail. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think that I would have Mateo penciled in as the starting shortstop for 2023. Uh, I'm not mad at that. I do think Gunner should be in our starting lineup on yeah. the opening day in 2023 as well. Uh, but yeah, With I would door at second. Oh my god! If Ruben Odor is at second base next year, could you imagine? I, I mean, I mean th- there's this... no, there's no way. Yeah, there's no, right. there's, there's no, there's no way. It's Urias, it's Vavra, it's right. it's too right. full. Yeah. But just take a second and just think about the absolute vitriol uh, that you would see all over the internet if we re-signed Ruben Odor. No, he'll be fa- he'll be a fantastic starting second baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates next year, yeah. uh, and I think that'd be a really good role for him. Personal. My roommate, who's a Pirates fan, is sitting right behind me. He'll love him. He's got headphones on too. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess to refocus, Jorge Mateo. Uh, yeah, he's been phenomenal. I think he has a future as an Oriole. He has a future as a starting shortstop as an Oriole. That said, I also, as Jesse was alluding to, can definitely see a situation where somebody says, "Hey." It's a really nice shortstop you got there. You already got another one. Can we pry him away from you? Right. And and yeah, I could see Mateo going somewhere. I just don't think and, that's going to happen this offseason. Right. I agree. I agree. I think it'll be, you know, I don't know. It could even be maybe next trade deadline or next offseason, something to that effect. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think, Ch- I think- changing, changing shortstops mid-year, that's the only thing that I would – be hesitant about it happening right. at the deadline, but yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, all right, let's talk Anthony Santander. He's another player that I think could potentially be on the move this offseason. He's I've been advocating for it for a while. <laughs> um, I mean, this I, I don't know, like you really just am not big on Santander. Like you, I, because you're kind of a hater. I gotta say you're a Santander hater, you know. For sure. Because and look here, here's the note I was gonna say is that he's been hitting really well. Since July 2nd, he's hitting 326 with a 378 on base and a 553 slugging, which works out to a 931 OPS. That's good. Anthony Santander can't argue with that. He's been hitting yeah. great. He's the he's the he's the power hitter on the roster. The guy cannot field. He was a finalist for a gold glove two years ago. <laughs> he can't he can't field. So for sure. me, the whole the whole thing is that he is a good hitter. He, he's a good hitter, especially if you compare it with an average or even slightly below average glove in right field. I think he's an everyday player, but he's not a slightly below average glove. He's a well below average glove. And I just think that the time has come to see if you can flip him for something. Um, but I, I wasn't even going to bring that up here, Jesse. You brought up the 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 hating on him and me wanting him gone for a long time. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Anthony Santander, thoughts? How are, how are things going there? What have you noticed uh, difference about? Santander Jesse do you want to talk about him um I yeah I mean so I've also you know I've always really liked him um you know I've always uh yeah kind of believed in his potential and I think it's kind of coming forward now um yeah I mean so the thing the thing is uh kind of like the plate discipline at the beginning of the year that we had talked about like his on base percentage isn't that much higher um, but he's just a really good hitter then, uh, yeah, he's just a really good hitter and he has great, uh, he has good bat to ball skills, um, and plus the power that he exhibits, um, you know, he's definitely a threat in the lineup. He makes the entire lineup better. Right. Um, and you know, 
obviously lengthens it just by his presence in the middle of the order. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think, you know, he's a big deal. I think the Orioles, um, I think eventually I could see him being traded because it's kind of like, you know, we were talking about with Mancini, it's sort of, uh, you know, well, how do we find your place? How do we find your role on the team, et cetera. But if he hits like this, then that really just changes the equation. I don't think he's going to be a 900 plus OPS player like all the time. Right. But uh, I could definitely see him be an 850 OPS player um, hitter and, you know, or at a a minimum 800, you know, so uh, if he's not injured and stuff. So, um, yeah. Which which, which is a big thing, thing. right? Which is a big thing for him, right? And historically, he's had a lot of injuries. So, um, and staying on the field and staying productive and, you know, has been a problem. But um, yeah, but I I don't, I don't, I I guess my only difference with you is I don't think the Orioles should be, should feel kind of forced to trade him or I don't think we should be advocating necessarily to trade him, especially if the deal is not there. I don't think the Orioles should feel a ton of pressure to trade him um, because I think he is a good enough hitter to we can we could figure him out defensively. Um, I, I just mean we can find a role for him where he makes sense defensively or DH him where he's still uh, a, a net positive on this team. Well, they've been giving him reps at first base, apparently, during batting practice and so forth, so. We'll see about that. But then that that of course, you know, okay, well, what now with Mountcastle, right? Well, you so. they would be it'd be sort of a DH first base situation for both of them, I think. Right. But then like, okay, so you know, right. then we have to factor Adley into the DH mix. And it, you know, it's it's crowded. It's crowded. Well, you tra- you so, trade him. You trade him. Trade Adley. <laughs> no. Oh, trade's not that there. Okay. <laughs> I'm not an insane person. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I, I'll chime in and I'll agree largely with everything that's been said. The thing that I do want to point out is his OPS overall, not even just the, you know, the 930 or whatever it's been for the last month and a half. I mean, he's sitting at about 800 for the year. And that is augmented by this hot streak, but 800 for the year, like for a right fielder, the league average OPS is 730 right now. So he's about 10% better than the league average as a hitter, uh, which definitely is value. Well, that's also like, <laughs> I should say, that's not a perfect correlation. Like it's not linear like that when you look at it in terms of OPS plus and WRC plus and that kind of thing. Um, and he DHs sometimes. So it's not even always right field. Right. So it's not even always right field, but he's right on par. Like a 795 OPS is what designated hitters are averaging this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he maintains the 800 OPS, that is, a, you know, a league average designated hitter and he provides value from both sides of the plate. You know, you don't have to like pull him. It's not a platoon kind of deal. And so for all of the roster concerns that you guys were just talking about, you know, really moving him anywhere or keeping him anywhere is a problem for us. Um, Yeah. I think this year makes sense for a trade and it's nothing against him. I think he is a productive player and I think he will continue to be, but I think for us, you know, we need a spot in the outfield for somebody like a Stowers. We need that DH role available. And um, I think it makes sense to trade him, but You know, I love him. It's kind of funny because we always talk about Trey was, you know, the longest tenured guy. Anthony Santander was a rule five pick in 2017, the year after Trey Mancini came up. Mm -hmm. You know, he has been with us. It's just that he was so hurt that first year and, you know, has just kind of popped in and out. But, you know, Santander has been with us for a long time and I definitely have a lot of love for the guy. Um, So I, that said, you know, he's got the defensive limitations that Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins do not. Uh, uh-huh. He has years of team control and he's got a productive bat. So I think he will fetch us a lot on the open market, on the trade market. Um, yeah. So I think it makes a lot of sense to trade him. Right. And I know we keep talking about Kyle Stowers. I mean, Colton Cowser is going to be here kind of soon. I right. think. Right. He's in double A. He's crushing it in double A. Yes. He'll probably start at triple a next year but i think colton cowser is right gonna be a starter on the orioles sometime next summer yeah. um so yeah, mid-season or yeah. august or so yeah 
Agreed. Um, all right, uh, let's talk Felix Bautista. You know, he stepped into closer role with Jorge Lopez on the Twins now. Has been pretty effective so far. He had that one uh, sort of shaky outing that Eli mentioned um, where Rudnett Odor came in and kind of settled him down. But I think the big news with Felix Bautista this week is that he has a new walkout introduction when he comes out of the bullpen at Camden Yards that features flashing lights uh, throughout the stadium and the whistle from Omar Littles uh, in the wire. Uh, what do we think about the, the walkout? I think in general, Twitter is very into it. Um, do we have any different thoughts there? Eli, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess the biggest thing to me, I think the Twitter is excited to get excited about anything right now. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I am included in that. Don't get me wrong. Our warehouse pod account has been a big fan. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I, I do like it. Um, you know, for those who've watched The Wire, kind of the whole the whole thing about it was it was this like, I don't know, it's this childhood song, but it comes out in this super haunting way. You know, it's as Omar is coming down the block and he's a terrifying dude. Um, so it, it, you know, it's kind of haunting. And Bautista as a, you know, huge six foot eight, 280 pound dude is that kind of intimidating figure you want coming out of the bullpen at the end of the game. Um, you know, just from the like uh, psychological standpoint, you know, just having a large person coming out of the bullpen with this haunting music, I, I think it gives a cool effect. Um, I was admittedly worried about how we were going to turn the like spookiness of the whistle into some kind of hype energy. Right. Um, and I forget what the name of the song is. They did that that opera song, but like, yeah. You know? And it was okay. I, I think we could refine that a little bit and like the part where the lights are flashing really and where we are transitioning into the hype of getting everybody energized for this dude who's going to come through 102 miles an hour. Um, I think that part needs some work, but as a whole, I think it's a, it's a solid, solid start. I think I'm in the same boat there. Like, I think that they're trying, they're trying to do something special with him coming into the game, which I appreciate I understand it's kind of a response to the Edwin Diaz uh, walkout going kind of viral. This isn't the first time the Orioles have tried to do some special stuff with their closer. I know when Zach Britton was at the peak of his power, um, they did stuff with the lights. And I think his song was for those about to rock. We salute you. I think that was Zach Britton's song. Um, yeah, I think that's right. But yeah, it just seems like it needs some refinement. The timing was kind of off. It also was in front of a crowd of like, not many people on a rainy midweek night right so yeah. the hype they, wasn't all there they had had the rain delay and yeah. then came back and yeah so all the videos going around the stadium is totally empty <laughs> yeah so it looked kind of silly but i think like on a friday or a saturday night a close to sold out crowd against a good team that's going to be a lot more impactful and hopefully they have some time to tweak it and hopefully have some time for bautista to like give some input into like what he wants because it doesn't seem like any of those elements are really like anything. He was like, yes, this is my favorite song and this is my favorite show. So that's my only critique there. Um, Jess. The only thing, the, the other thing I would just add about it is, I, you know, so I've watched a few episodes of The Wire. I haven't like seen the whole thing. Uh, yeah. I know who Omar is. Uh, but, you know, I guess my whole thing about this is that the Wire is a show that is mainly for people outside of Baltimore than people in Baltimore. From my just anecdotal experience, right? Yeah. Jess, like, I, I think that's a take that will be rejected by all of Baltimore. <laughs> I I don't I mean, I don't know. I don't I don't know. Like I, I think there's much more hype about the you know, I've heard more about the wire from people living outside Baltimore than people living inside Baltimore. That's just my experience. I know plenty of people from Baltimore who do not watch The Wire, you know? So uh, again, you know, maybe I could be wrong about that or whatever, but- I mean, it's also a but, show that's, it's an HBO show. It's a violent show. It's not like a sitcom on ABC from, you know, at eight, at eight o'clock every week. You know what I mean? It's like a prestige show that's not, it's a little more niche than a Seinfeld. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that's part of it too, is that it's a little more of a niche reference too. 
but I, right. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the, the actual sound effect is cool, you know, and I think, I think, you know, I'm, I guess I'm for that in a sense. Well, let's wrap up with a positive and let's talk about uh, D.L. Hall. Uh, as we record this, D.L. Hall is preparing to make his MLB debut against the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, we don't know how he does as we record, but we just will assume he threw a no hitter um, and it was really cool. So beyond today, what do we think D.L. Hall, uh, what, what will he provide for the Orioles in the 2022 season? We already know that it's been reported he's going to, this is going to be a spot start essentially. And from this point, he's going to move into the bullpen to provide multi-inning relief. Um, but Eli, what are you hoping, you know, with that context to get out of DL Hall uh, this year? Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, one of the main arguments against trading away Jorge Lopez was the idea that we, you know, by pulling that piece out, everybody's got to move up the totem pole and you weaken the middle innings. Um, you know, D.L. Hall obviously has electric stuff. He could he could probably be a closer right now. You know, he throws 100 from the left side. He's got two good breaking pitches. He's got a, like, vastly improved changeup. He's got insane stuff. He could go and he could step in and be a closer in the MLB right now, I think. And I have a lot of confidence in that. But his ability to step in, handle multiple innings, you know, get out of a jam in the third inning when, you know, Dean Kramer struggles when he first goes out there, whatever, and bridge to the sixth or seventh when we can then roll out Cena Perez, Dylan Tate, and eventually Felix Bautista. Like, I, I think that's immeasurably valuable. I don't really know why we don't use Keegan Aiken in that role anymore, but for whatever reason, we don't. Um, and yeah, having some length out of the front end of the bullpen, I think is super valuable. And obviously, you know, he's a huge impact strikeout capable pitcher. And so it's not the typical, like, you know, somebody who can come in and just throw pitches and eat innings. He is somebody who can come in in a tight situation and work his way out of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I've seen people talk about the Keegan Aiken thing. I think my thought with Keegan Aiken is that um, he's obviously thrown more innings than this before in a season because he was a starter and he's thrown over hundred innings a few times. I wonder if it's like just the frequency with which he's throwing now he's, he's pitching more often and maybe the Orioles yeah. are trying to back off his inning load to like compensate. I don't know, but it is a good point to like that, uh, deal hog can kind of come in and sort of replace that with a, a different arsenal. Cause clearly Aiken's more of a, uh, creative or creative went crafty. Crafty is what I meant to say. And I meant create said creativity. Um, and Hall's a power pitcher. And I think your point about him coming in right away and being like uh, a high leverage reliever, that's what Fangraphs has been like kind of talking about for like a year or two with him is bring him up sooner, make him a relief pitcher, and then trans transition back to a starter um later on. So we'll see uh how that how that goes. Jesse, what are you hoping to get out of DL Hall this year? Yeah, um, well, it'll be real interesting i mean kind of you know i'm not sure who you know if i'm excited about this long man kind of role for him um relative to like him being a back-end arm so that'll be kind of interesting to monitor um and to see if that does change or how that evolves like throughout the rest of the season um yeah it's kind of weird you know a lefty throwing 100 to put him in a you know a swing man kind of um that sort of uh role but um yeah we'll definitely see what happens and yeah um yeah and i think the final thing on, on dl hall is elias talked about him prior to the season saying that something along the lines of we'll i think we'll see him and we'll see him early in the big leagues well it's mid-august um i wouldn't qualify this as seeing him early so eli do you think they waited too long to bring up hall or is this kind of you know this is the right time yeah, I I go back and forth on this. I you know, there was a period where he struck out like 40% of hitters he was or like 50% of hitters he was seeing over three starts or something to that effect. It, you know, there were times where he was absolutely dominant and for whatever reason the Orioles did not call him up and then he, he would kind of fade into a stretch of a couple bad outings. There was the period where he was tipping pitches 
and then he would write the ship again and it was like okay we'll call him up you know i think like we said earlier elias looks for people to dominate a level and seeing that dl hall had kind of gone in and out a little bit i think just made him hesitant um whether that's right or wrong i'm not necessarily one to say but i think that dl hall not that he was promoted at the right time, but now we are here and we're in a wild card position. I think that he is here at the right time. And that's the most important thing to me. Um, he is here, you know, for this last run where we're really giving it our best shot. Um, and, and that's what matters to me. So, you know, what, whatever happened, uh, it's, yeah, I would have liked to have seen him earlier, but he is here now and we're like locked and loaded, ready to rock. Yeah, it was interesting. I thought they were kind of ramping up for him to come up like right around the all-star break. Um, he had thrown 98 pitches and back-to-back starts from the 6th and then the 12th of July. Um, then threw 81 pitches on the 17th. Then the all-star break happened. He came back and threw only 17 pitches in a weird outing. And then these last two outings, he's now, uh, he threw 99 pitches and then 100 pitches the, the start before. So like he's fully stretched out. Um, this last start was pretty pretty darn good. 5.1 innings, five hits, two earned runs, and um, it looks like eight strikeouts with three walks. So, like, that's kind of the D.L. Hall experience. I think he's going to rack up the strikeouts. He's going to walk a few too many, um, and we'll see. Uh, Jess, do you think they waited too long to bring up D.L. Hall, or are you uh, happy with the timing of his promotion? Yeah, I mean, so I think, you know, I think they might have waited a bit too long, but I'm also happy with the timing of it, right? right? This is a critical series against the Rays. This is a big start, right? And this is a good time to pull out this secret weapon you've been hiding for the entire <laughs> year, you know? So uh, kind of both, I would I would answer that. So, yeah, makes sense. Um, all right. That's all the topics we've got uh, for this week. You should be getting another episode in about two weeks that is going to be a little bit late, but it's going to cover the trade deadline as well as the MLB draft and some of our predictions for uh, September call-ups. We actually ended up timing that pretty perfectly since Paul's up today. We didn't have to speculate there. But yeah, that's going to be in a couple of weeks here. So keep tuned for that. Uh, to make sure you don't miss that episode, please subscribe to our podcast. You can do that on Spotify, Apple, and everywhere else you get podcasts. Uh, we're also on Substack. If you go to the warehousepod.substack.com, you can go there, give us your email address, and our podcast will get sent to your inbox. We also are starting to try to write blogs on occasion. Eli wrote one about Trey Mancini's trade uh, just a few days ago, so you can check that out. And we'll try to make that a more frequent um, aspect of our feed over there. Uh, you can also subscribe, or I'm sorry, you can follow us on various social media accounts Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at the Warehouse Pod. And if you'd like to, talk to us about something directly, you can email us thewarehousepod at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, hopefully next time we uh, talk to you, the Orioles are even higher up the standings, maybe chasing down the Yankees for that AL East lead. And uh, hopefully we're getting ready to talk about some postseason baseball. But uh, until next time, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thank you for listening. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks, that's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.